This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Classic View from the Boundary on BBC Sounds. Hello, Jonathan Agnew here to welcome you to a very special series of classic View from the Boundary interviews as we celebrate 40 years of this iconic radio feature. The concept of a consistent View from the Boundary feature came about after the first celebrity interview had taken place. Then producer Peter Baxter was walking to Broadcasting House from St Pancras Station when the name came to him and it's stuck ever since. As we launch our series on BBC Sounds, it only seems right that we include that very first interview. And what a remarkable discussion it is. Ben Travers isn't a name that will necessarily be familiar to all listeners, but for the majority of the 20th century, he was one of the most prolific and acclaimed writers for both stage and screen this country has produced. We'll hear plenty more about his career, but it's his cricketing memories that really stand out. Born in 1886, Travers was 93 when he climbed to the old Lord's commentary box in 1980. He began by telling Brian Johnston about the first first-class game he'd watched. Well, the first test match, I, I think it was the first first-class uh, first match I saw, the first test match I saw was at the Oval in 1896. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I was nine years old and my father took me... Well, uh, it was three-day matches, of course, in those days. It started on a Thursday, this was, and they, uh, uh, they ra- it rained most of the first day. They didn't start until after tea. And W.G. Grace and F.S. Jackson opened for England, followed by Ranji, Ranji oh, Sinji. And uh, rather, it, it shows that crowds were still enthusiastic in those. I remember when Ranji came into bat, they started singing. <laughs> I think he only made seven. It was a very low-scoring match. And that was my... What did my, WG make? Do you remember? Uh, 24, Court Trot Bowl Giffen. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, he was out first. And then Jackson played very good luck. But uh, England won eventually. It was bowler's wicket. Uh, and uh, that was... And then uh, later I saw WG. Uh, when he left... Gloucester. He started London County at the Crystal Palace, a uh, thing of his own, a sort of club of his own. He used to get all the first-class cricketers to come and play for him uh, on their days off against the counties and that sort of thing. And there I saw him make a hundred, with Ranji the other end making another hundred, a very fine partnership. And then I saw him again, uh, the Hastings Festival. Oh, and I saw W.G., in one of the only two matches in which he played with Jack Hobbs, or rather, in which Jack Hobbs played with him, it, as he used to take the uh, London County team to the Oval, uh, right at the beginning of the season. This was Jack Hobbs' first appearance. I saw Jack yes. Hobbs play his first innings in first-class cricket. He made eighty on. I must tell you a bit yeah. more about W.G. Well, I want to ask, what was he like as a well, man? Okay. Oh, well, of course, he was, he was a bulk of the chap. Uh, he was, uh, the great thing about W.G. in his time was he was the great predominant figure of cricket, more so, I think, than any other uh, uh, individual since his time. He uh, had a, a rather an odd stance uh, in that he... He cocked his left toe up. He had his left heel on the ground, cocked his uh, his uh, toe up, 
and uh, stood and he also in, in those days stood and awaited the delivery of the ball when the, when the uh, bowler was halfway through his run, fast bowler, with his bat off the ground. Uh, that is, uh, some comments have been made in recent years about uh, Martin Bassman who've done that, uh, Tony Gregg and Amos and Brearley and, and so on, uh, Gooch, that was now. And, uh, but it's, he started that, or he did it in his day. Did and you hear him talk? Yes, he had, a, he had a, like another very large man, G.K. Chesterton, he had a curiously uh, a falsetto voice coming out of so huge a frame. <laughs> he, he was also, incidentally, you know, he was a practising doctor. My mother was born and brought up in Clifton, and W.G. Grace was their family doctor. None of them lived very long. <laughs> oh, except one who... Well, he was beca- always playing cricket, I think. Well, she became a nun. <laughs> Did you ever see him disagree with an umpire? I mean, he's got this reputation. Disagree? When he made his hundred at... Uh, uh, he, uh, well, I saw him make his hundred. He was caught at short leg by a pro called Brockwell, a solid pro off the bowling of Lockwood, for 24 or 22 or something. And... Uh, he made out that this was a bump ball. It hit the ball on the ground. Before. And he flurry, He went towards Brockwell, flourishing his bat over his head as if he was going to fell him. And, of course, the, the umpire at Peter stood there, utterly intimidated, not like what to do, gave him not out, and so he went on to make a hundred. Well, that was W.G., wonderful character. Of course, you must remember the days he lived in quite apart from the cricket conditions. Think, you must remember, W.G. never saw an aeroplane. W.G. never saw any type of motion picture. They were, they were very... How did they arrive at the ground in those days? Well, I should think uh, uh, some of the professionals probably were on bicycles and tricycles, and uh, uh, certainly horse-driven carriages. Handsome cabs were Handsome cabs, yes. But uh, handsome cabs, not so much outside London. They were sort of important vehicle. Ben, I must say, if I may, that your performance in scaling these stairs to the commentary box, <laughs> which floor me and have done for three seasons, I think it was a prodigious effort. And, and arrived in full puff, too. Yes, well, I, I don't take more exercise than I can help now. I take an immense amount of mental exercise, perpetual mental exercise, but not more physical exercise. Like uh, I don't want to be unkind, but I think I'm rather like some of the English batsmen. I take a lot of mental exercise, but not much physical exercise. So talking of mental exercise, are you broody at the moment? Are you writing a, a Oh, yeah, I'm always, always doing it. I write it while yeah, I'm writing my latest words. Oh, yes, rather, I've got two or three waiting. However, we don't want to talk about no, that, but what no. about cricket? Yes, I do, I do. <laughs> but I what a wonderful of... life it must have been before the First World War, a life of... Yes, well, what about Jessup? Did you, would you like me to tell you about that? I would love yes. it. Because yeah. I think I must be rather unique. I can't be many people about now who saw Jessup's classic 104. The Oval in 1902? The Oval in 1902. I took it out of my mouth. And... Uh, uh, oh, it was a wonderful occasion. That was uh, a very interesting test match. Uh, the Australians had already won the Ashes, 
and this was the last test match at the Oval. And uh, in the last innings, well, it wasn't a particularly bad wicket, I don't think, but there was a bowler there called Saunders, a left, left arm, uh, fastish um, uh, Australian bowler, sort of predecessor of Davidson, the way, the way he wasn't as good a bowler as Davidson. A few people were, I think. And uh, at the second innings, England had to make 263 to win. And the first four batsmen on England's side were McLaren, LCH Pallaret, J.T. Tilsley and Tom Hayward. And Saunders got them all four out for respectively two, six, naught and seven. And this is just about F.S. Jackson then went in and, and stayed there, pretty good, but this is just about the luncheon interval, this last day. And these four wickets were all down, all to Saunders. The other end, old Hugh Trumbull was bowling. He'd had eight wickets for 64 in the first innings, so he, he was a menace. And uh, some I remember sitting on the right of the pavilion, and an old, or rather elderly, members in the, left the ground disgruntled. They couldn't bear to see England so humiliated. Well, Brond came in with Jackson after lunch, was immediately out for two. And in came G.L. Jessup. Jackson put up a wonderful defensive performance, most sensible innings. At the other end, Jessup went absolutely crazy. He, this menace Saunders had already dismissed all our star batsmen. Joseph hit him for four fours. Uh, uh, Hugh Trumbull was burning the other end. Joseph hit him onto the uh, awning in the pavilion. Ball came back, he hit him there again, the next ball. <laughs> and so he went on. And in those days, the enthusiasm was absolute. Of course, England had utterly no chance at all. Okay? But hadn't they? This thing began to dawn, this faint of, with this man going crazy. And in those days, the boater hat was the fashion. Everybody wore a boater hat. And I remember when Joseph made his century, stayed citizens in the, in the uh, removed their bowler hats and threw them like boomerangs into the air. <laughs> Unlike boomerangs, they didn't return to the owners. <laughs> and a, a severe a loss in those, a great sacrifice. They must have cost at least three shillings a, a, a time. Oh, a wonderful sight. And, of course, the most threatening thing of all, the finish of that, because when, uh, uh, when he was out and Rhodes came in to join her, so they wanted 15 runs for the last wicket. And the most canny bit of bowling... Uh, old Hugh, uh, they, they made them gradually and uh, drew up to the score was a tie. And uh, Hugh Trumbull from the pavilion end would bowl, bowl right through the innings, 263, bowl 31 overs. And uh, he had a chap called Duff, a very good opening Australian uh, batsman. He had him deep long on 
on the right of the pavilion that looked the over. What later always became known as Sandham's Corner, because Andy Sandham used to say. And uh, he served Wilfrid Rhodes up with a slow half volley on the next time. Almost any bachelor or anybody in the world would have said, ah, oh, here we are, crack, wallop, hit it into the air and get caught by that. Not a bit of it. Wilfred Rhodes gently tapped it past square leg and ran the one run there and there. Oh, yeah. You've made a lot of tours of Australia, haven't you? Oh, yes, I've been to Australia several times. Uh, I, I, I was there very luckily in 1928, 29, when Bradman first... I saw Bradman play his first innings in his... Brisbane. Uh, uh, yes. And uh, against England, English bowling, that is. And, of course, a wonderful side. England had probably one of the best they'd ever... Percy Chapman, was the one say. And Jardine take, making his first tour. Farmer White, they were the three amateurs. The days of amateur and professionals, of course. And Jack Hobbs, Sutcliffe, who made the, the greatest... I always say, Brian, that the, I think the greatest innings I ever saw in cricket, the test match, anyhow, was an innings played by Jack Hobbs at Melbourne at the last days of 1928 in the test match, the third test match at Melbourne. And Jack Hobbs made 49. And I think that 49 was the greatest innings I've ever seen. It had a terrific, of course, the wickets were uncovered in those days, the mercy of the elements. And uh, it had a tremendous thunderstorm the night before. And... Uh, the Australian sun came out next morning and fairly baked the wicket. And uh, Australians still had two or three wickets to lose. Farmer White polished them off in a couple of overs. And Jack Hobbs said, said I'm afraid we shall... This was lunch, the, 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 the start was late. And Jack Hobbs said, I'm afraid we'll all be out by tea time. <laughs> and at the end of tea time, he and Sutcliffe were still there. And that was the worst, that must have been the most, the worst batting wicket anybody could ever conceive. I went and saw it at the end of play. Uh, it was, it was like concrete with great lumps and holes in it. Out of the town. What about the best batsman? You've ever worked out who you think the best batsman you've ever seen, the best bowler? And there so are on? two kinds of batsmen, aren't there, Brian? Surely. There's the batsman who says, I'm going to slaughter you. And the batsman who says, you can't get me out. I think the greatest slaughterer I ever saw was undoubtedly Don Bradman. The greatest you can't get me out of was Jack Hobbs. And, of course, there were others like that. It's the approach to the game, not merely the execution, but the mental approach to the game. Uh, I think you can't get me out of... Of course they can... Uh, make to uh, play uh, scoring innings is fast innings is if uh, circumstances arise but there's sort of a general attitude to it Hutton Woodful Bill Laurie you remember John indeed you remember yeah. Bill Laurie <laughs> uh, uh, a boycott yes and then of course on the other slaughterers there are many well we had one yesterday uh, it's hard to believe, watching that innings yesterday, that they're 
could ever be a better slaughter of cricket, but I think Don Bradman must be tops. And of course, the all, greatest all rounder I ever saw was that Gary Sobers. I don't suppose there's much argument about that. No, not at all. Bowlers? Well, uh, the uh, traditional greatest bowler is Sidney Barnes. I suppose the Australians would put in a case for O'Reilly. Uh, and we had some uh, all these very good medium bowlers Morris Tate, Alec Benzer. Uh, well, it's awfully hard to say. Of course, the greatest classic bowling performances like Lakers and uh, 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 Verities Ber- at Lords at 1934. They've got 15 wickets. I don't want to detract from the brilliance of their performance, but surely they were done under circumstances which helped the bowler. Absolutely straightforward. I suppose it doesn't, it hasn't stopped improving altogether, I hope, cricket. Uh, this is a pretty good bowler, isn't he? He's pretty useful, yes. And of course the fielding is better now, isn't it? Well, it's of course. Extraordinary thing, John. The, the fielding compared now... Of course, there is the one thing about this one-day game, which I don't think is cricket at all, apart from being awfully good fun and entertainment. And, uh, and, and you and Jim Lake and between you managed to make it very interesting and exciting on Sundays. But uh, the fielding and throwing... You know, in the old days, I'm talking about the race Jessup day, uh, oh, until quite a, a long time after Throwing to the wicket always used to be on the long hop. People didn't throw to the wicketkeeper. Uh, and now, some of them will tell you, see, Lever and people that return the ball. Well, you've seen some quite good ones this morning. Uh, it's a delight. I love watching fielding. That's one of my things. You I use the word watching. Did you ever play, Ben? Were you any good? Well, no, no, no. <laughs> much too small. Oh, no, I love fielding. I think... Uh, Percy Chapman was the greatest all-round fielder I've ever seen. Yes. There have been some awfully good come. Do you remember uh, before Randall? Do you remember that chap Bland? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Clive, Clive Lloyd, Lloyd went mm-hmm. a little bit a year or two ago. Uh, Phil Sharp was the best slip cash oh, I ever What about Jack Hobbs at cover? Awfully good, awfully good and quick. So was Jessup. Uh, Hobbs uh, uh, wasn't all that good when he started. He, he, he taught himself to be a great coach. Very good return to the Yeah, he was very good. But uh, to go back to batting for a moment, the thing I'm always pleased with, mind you, I'm only a spectator. I don't for the moment pretend to, to be an expert or a connoisseur. I secretly, like all cricket lovers, I secretly think I am myself, but I never <laughs> tell anybody. But uh, I, elegance. I love elegance in batting. The most graceful, elegant batsman I ever saw was Alan Kippax. Mm-hmm. To watch him was an absolute joy, his movement. And we've had a, a great Tom Grave. Did you see Trumper? Oh, yes. Well, how great was he? He was great, but he wasn't all that graceful. He was supposed to be very great. He, he had an extraordinary stance with his right knee bent in front of him. And he was, of course, terrific. When, when I saw Bradman play his first innings, and he made a, at Sydney in the Sydney Pavilion, 1928, and he made a glorious cover drive, and an excited member in the Australian stand jumped up and said, "Trumper, 
judged. <laughs> Blasphemy. Did you think then that Bradman was going to be the great player? Did you think when you saw him then? Well, yes, we'd been told beforehand there were two chaps who were up and coming great cricketers. Uh, Archie Jackson and Don Bradman. Of course, poor Archie Jackson would have been, I think. But uh, he had that consumption. Died young. But, uh, oh, Bradman. Yes, he was terrific. Do you like watching wicketkeepers? Who do you rate as the great wicketkeepers? The greatest wicketkeeper I ever saw. Oh, of course, I think Alan not. Bertie Oldfield, my younger, is always supposed to be the best. And then he was superseded by Evans. And now uh, Alan not. But it was a very strange wicketkeeper, a marvellous wicketkeeper in my younger days. who's was still going strong. Not wicketkeeping still, but still going strong. Called, you know him. Uh, Howard Levitt, Hopper Levitt. He's here today. He used to stand up for fast bowling. Of course, he couldn't do it today, unless he wore a pair of stilts. <laughs> that could rather handicap the wheel-keeping, I think. But he, he was an amazing chap. Uh, oh, yes, there was some... Just one more question, Ben, if we can. Uh, you wrote one farce about cricket called A Bit of a, a Bit test. of a Test, yes. I did that rarely. Uh, it was... Wasn't expected to appeal to a very large public. It, it was after Douglas Jardine's tour with Larwood, the bodyline row, and it was a it was a sort of skit up and that. What was Ray Flynn? Was he captain of England? No, I'm Fred Robinson <laughs> Hare. <was he>? <laughs> <laughs> he went in first with Ray Flynn. Yes. And Tom Walls? What was he? The villain? Oh, no, Tom Walls merely produced I think. I don't think, I think he kept us. I used to have great fun with Robinson Crusoe. You know, yes. Robertson Glasgow, dear old person. Yes. Marvellous chap. Oh, what fun, you know. When you know, was doing a, picking a world team of those you would like, of world's history, you would like to see playing cricket, playing in a test match. I had a wonderful opening pair, Beethoven and John the Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Look, on that note, we, we've got and, st- and, and then we had Attila... The Hun and being the fast bowler, talk for Marder, the spinner, and two glorious umpires, Judge Jeffries and Pontius Pilate. <laughs> well, on that note, we've got to stop in. I've got a magnificent choice, and we've had 25 minutes of absolute magic. And I tell you what, if it's raining at a test match, can we ring you up at your flat and say, Come round at once and entertain us? Yes, as long as you don't come round to my flat, I would have not moved. There you are. Ben Thank you Travers, for so many delights. The great passer and the great cricket lover. Thank you very much, Ben. Extraordinary memories from Ben, who sadly died later that year at the age of 94. There's so much to look forward to from the archives. Let's get a taster of another real classic, the James Bond director, Sir Sam Mendes. I, I wouldn't say it was brilliant. I was a good schoolboy cricketer. I loved it. It was the thing I was best at at school. I wasn't academically very strong at school, and it, yeah. it gave me a kind of identity at school in the way that often being good at one particular sport does. I was captain of cricket for a couple of years the last two years I was at school I played uh, Oxfordshire Colts uh, you know so I was a decent schoolboy cricketer um, and certainly as an off-break bowler which I was uh, took a lot of wickets I think if you're a decent spinner at schoolboy level I think you'd take a lot of wickets Bowl straight um, bowl full exactly hit the wickets and just uh, I got a lot of people caught at mid-off and mid-on but that kind of disappeared when I went to Cambridge I went determined to play cricket and then discovered theatre parties girls etc and I got slightly distracted and I never really was any good but then there was a brief flourish I have to say about 
15 years ago, I started playing quite regularly across a couple of summers for my local village team, for Shipton under Witchwood. And we got to the final of the village knockout. And because the very first at Lords, this was, and it, because my very first visit to Lords had been for that weirdly, yes, that that's same amazing. Game, it felt like everything had come full circle. Yes. And uh, from that moment, it felt like I'd sort of um, come to the end of my you know intense playing days. And now I play maybe four or five times a summer yeah. if I'm lucky. But you played in the final, didn't you? I, mean, I did. What, what were your memories of that? In the uh, dressing well, room? I mean, they, the, they treat, I mean, it's, it's a proper, oh, yes, proper it's, match here, Yes, and we were in the England, the England dressing room, which was wow. a great thrill. Okay. But unfortunately, it was, of all things, the day that Princess Diana died. Oh. Um, and it was one of the strangest and saddest days, well, I can remember. It was very overcast, and I think if we'd been playing a day later, they would have cancelled the game, but they didn't really know what to do. So the whole day was played under this terrible cloud so it was quite a strange strange occasion um and we lost uh which was sad but i think people weren't really understandably focused no, on the game no but you chose your spot in the england dressing room I and mean, you remember walking in there and oh yes and, and, and yeah, by the window i went to get by the window you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's amazing to be in there isn't it don't you think you feel yeah. uh, it, it, it's it, it's you, you can't help but feel the tradition of, of the game when you when you're in that laws with it yeah and it's very difficult to describe to those who don't love the game uh, and also who those who don't understand the very subtle differences between grounds why this place feels slightly different um, when I was a schoolboy I came a couple of times on my own I must have been 12 or 13 and to county games you know I used to mm. come during the course of summer and I remember sneaking into the old grandstand right. and climbing over the metal railings that lead that led to the boxes and spending a whole day alone in a grandstand box watching and I remember it quite clearly uh, it was Middlesex Worcestershire and it was the Glenn Turner era of Worcestershire oh, right, okay. and he, he was batting beautifully and you know he made a, a century that day and I just remember sitting alone and watching it and being absolutely perfectly happy yeah. and it's a real golden memory of my, of my childhood so to come back to the ground that has that personal significance on top of which the historical significance really uh, it always gives me a thrill well, that full interview, along with so many others, will be shortly available to download. To make sure you don't miss a thing, just hit the subscribe button on BBC Sounds. The TMS Podcast. Classic view from the boundary. Alan Shearer and Ian Wright are in my kitchen. Mm. What's going on here? The all-new Match of the Day Top Ten Podcast. Answering a huge football question every week. This has not been easy, has it? Like the Top Ten Premier League Strikers. Firstly, I think it's really hard to have Shearer anywhere near the Top Ten. <laughs> the Match of the Day Top Ten Podcast. Only available on BBC Sounds.